Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. And thank you again so much for our time together. What a joy to sit down with you in your home. And it is an honor. And I always say that because, you know what, you could be doing a lot of other things. But you've chosen to open your heart wide to us as we have chosen to open our hearts wide to you. And we're just going to sit around the Word of God together and learn and smile and enjoy ourselves. All right. So first, we've got Psalms 91, good foundational passage. We have one of the children or one of the young people recite it for us every morning, sometimes one of the seniors to recite it for us in the mornings. It's important that all of us have this in our heart. Now, if you've got a recording that you'd like to send in, just send it to Sister Bev or send it to your district pastor. Please don't send it to me because I got so much email. <sighs> Sometimes it will take me a week to get them all answered. So please just help us out, Sister Bev or one of the district pastors or to Jong, and we'll take care of it. All right, let's go to our Psalms 91 recitation. My name is Luis Alison A. Flores, eight years old, from, from COP Lawag Branch. Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge. My place is safety. He is my God and I am trusting Him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the danger of the day. Nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Do a thousand fall at your side, do ten thousand are dying around you, this evil will not touch you. But you will see it with your eyes, you will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord is your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. I, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Jesus is the best. Yesterday, we spent time praying for the, the medical workers. And I will tell you that we just were told yesterday that one of our doctors died of COVID-19, one, one of our medical doctors in COP. These people aren't playing around when they say what they do is dangerous, what they do is hard work. These are people that we know. These are people that we love. So let me please encourage you. Let's, let's honor these frontliners, especially the ones in the hospitals, and let's, let's keep them covered in prayer. Okay, We're putting together a list, and if your Connect group would like to be one of the groups praying for the, all of our medical workers, then we'll send you the picture and the name of one of our doctors or doctoras or nurses and your group can begin to pray for them every day. Let's look at the other proverbial side of the coin today. 
Now, the middle class, and I know everybody's suffering, but the working class, your work from home, your work from the office, in fact, if anything right now, you're saving money because you don't have transportation, you're not eating out. But I want you to understand the people from Bandakan, the people from Tondo, the people from Zobel. Um, things are hard. Now, Mayor Isco and the mayor in Posik has allowed the tricycle drivers and the pedicabs to keep working because they have to. I mean, these guys have got to feed their families. And, you know, there's nothing worse than listening to a child cry themselves to sleep because, Mommy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. So let's try to understand that there are people that are tired from overwork, but there are also people who are tired because, you know what, they're just trying to scramble to get some food to eat. So I want us to pray for all of the, the people that are just struggling right now, for God in his mercy to let this thing lift, and for God in his mercy to put food on their tables. Father, we pray especially for the household of faith right now. I ask in Jesus' name that your hand of provision would be upon them, that everything they make to sell, Lord, that they will sell out every day so that there's an abundance left over and a backlog of orders for the next day. Father, let everything they set their hand to prosper. Lord, you never said you bless the sitting on our butt. You said you bless the work of our hands. Give them work for their hands to do, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, let everybody have work, whether it's delivery or selling or something, every person. Give them creative ideas to work. Father, we are an entrepreneurial people and we're a hardworking people. Please, in your grace, let there be jobs. Let there be jobs for people to work at every single day, that food can be on the table and every family will eat. We thank you for it, Father. Lord, we pray for every one of our families at COP, that every family will have creative ideas. Nobody wanted to go into this lockdown again, and Lord, nobody wanted to think about this lasting through the end of the year. But Father, we ask in your mercy and in your grace, let every family end ahead, not behind. Let every family end with bills paid and money in the bank, an abundance left over for every good work. Just like when you fed the multitude, Lord, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Let there be 12 basketfuls left over for every family, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. Your love never fails, never gives up, it never runs down on me. Your love never fails. Never never never
Just before we get into the word, I want to remind you that this weekend there will be no face-to-face -face services in the auditoriums. We will continue with our Fortress 91 from 7 a.m. until 6 p.m. Now notice 6 p.m. because of some of the curfews that end at 8 or begin at 8. So from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. we'll have Fortress 91 going all week. Little 10-minute services for you by, as an individual or just for your family. We'll have no more than five people in any of the rooms at a time. So, you know, if you bring a large family, please understand only five will be in at a time. We want to stick by the government guidelines. And then on Saturday and Sunday at South Campus and at Main Campus, we will have two drive-in services. Now, notice drive-in services. Now, these will be the very strict drive-in services like we started several months ago. Nobody can get out of their car. Okay, you, when, as you come in, they'll give you an attendance slip, they'll give you the communion information or the communion cups and things, they'll give you the, um, the offering envelopes just as you drive in the driveway, and then you fill those out, and it's going to have to be a one-hour service. All right, now, I know I've been going a little longer in the drive-in services recently on Saturday because, you know, we're able to use the CRs, but we cannot use the CRs. Now, nobody's allowed other cars, so I will stick within one hour, all right? And you can honk at me if I'm not done by, by the one hour, all right? So you can get back home. All right, so we'll be doing that at Main Campus and at South Campus, Saturday morning, 7.30 and 9.30, Sunday morning, 7.30 and 9.30. All right, let's open up our hearts and get into the Word today. Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. I am satisfied. I myself am satisfied about you. Paul said, you know, when I think about you, I'm, I'm satisfied. That you yourselves, now notice, you yourselves, not, not everybody else, church people, the church members, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So Paul said there's three characteristics of the Church of Rome. Three characteristics of church at Rome. He said, number one, you're full of goodness. He said, you're filled with knowledge. And he said, you're able to teach each other. So he, he compliments them. Now, notice, this is a compliment. Now, I, I hasten to put that in because I, I listened to a guy one time saying, you know, you can always tell a church that's filled with false prophecies and false prophets as leaders because they're always complimenting the people. And you go, man, this guy doesn't understand how to be a pastor. When you love people, you speak kindly to them. When you love people, you say good things about them. You encourage them. That's not being a false prophet. In fact, I'd probably say the opposite. Verse 15. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. So he said, all right, I have corrected you. But he said, listen, I've corrected you, but now I want you to understand how I feel about you. This is sometimes called the correction sandwich, all right? You speak kindly, you spank, and then you speak kindly, all right? And this is what he did. He said, but now notice, this correction I did, I did it by the grace given me by God. Even correction flows by grace. And he said, even the correction was just a reminder. The correction is only a reminder. You know, most things that we're corrected on, we already know them, okay? 
to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Okay, he said, now, that's the grace God has given me. He said, my ministry, I've received grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, just like the Levites had a priestly service, as pastors, we have a priestly service of the gospel of God. Preaching the gospel is a priestly service. Now, you could look at me and say, Pastor Sumrall is doing a priestly ministry. Oh, Pastor, I wouldn't say that. That would be insulting to you. No, it's not. That's what the Bible says. We could think of Pastor Joey as he preaches the gospel in Cebu. He's doing a priestly service. <laughs> See how we get hung up on words? Priestly service of the gospel of God so that, here's purpose, Whenever you see so that, you see purpose, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All right, so Paul said, listen, my, my priestly service, he said, now let me just make this really easy for you. He said, my priestly service is to preach the gospel. Now, what happens when you preach the gospel? Gentiles saved and offered to God as an offering. <laughs> Every time people come to the altar to get saved, that's like an offering given to God. That's a priestly service. And he said, I want it to be acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He said, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now that's not arrogance, this is good pride. This is good pride of a man of God. He said, I, I'm proud of my work for God. I like that. But again, notice in Christ Jesus. And you want to add that to the in Christ. Remember I told you to always keep a list of all the in Christ things? Well, there's one that's often forgotten. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. To bring to the Gentile, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed. So Paul said, I don't tell other stories. He said, No, this does not equal other people's stories, others' stories. He said, I, I don't go tell about what other people did for God. He said, I only speak about what God has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed, okay? So when people get truly saved, we see obedience. Okay, people can see obedience by word and deed. Now, th this is the fruit of salvation. So Paul said, listen, when I bring people to Christ, I'm bringing them to obedience. Remember, teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I commanded you. The obedience of faith Paul's talked about earlier here in Romans. I mean, it's a huge teaching. But he said, you can see that by their words and by their deeds. They're still out hanging out in clubs. You know, they can talk all they want about honoring God, but if they're still hanging out in the clubs and still messing around with girls and still getting drunk and still using drugs, excuse me, they're not in obedience demonstrated by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Icrinium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He said, all right, this is my method. 
This is how I brought them to obedience that can be seen by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, notice it's not by persuasive words of man's wisdom. It's by the power of signs, power of wonders, power of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that bring a people to obedience that can be seen in word and deed. He said, and thus, I make it my ambition. All right, so Paul chose his ambition. Now, there's a revelation you just need to get a hold of. What have you made your ambition? What ambition have you chosen? Is it your ambition to get rich? Then forgive me, you're headed for a world of hurt. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Now notice, even the subject was part of his ambition. He said, I, I don't want to preach a bunch of other stuff. I want to preach the gospel. He said, I want to get people saved. Now, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. He said, I want to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. Now, I've met a few people like this in my life. T.L. Osborne was one of them. He hated preaching in churches. I mean, he'd preach in churches because he recognized that Jesus was building his church. But what he loved to do is go out to where nobody had ever heard and preach the gospel to those that had never heard. You talk to Pastor Dag. He doesn't want to go to the big cities. He wants to go to the middle of nowhere where nobody else wants to go because they say there's no money. That's where Pastor Dag wants to go. I love being around people like that. Brothers and sisters, we need... Paul was not a man who fished in everybody else's local church to try to grow a church. Paul was a man that went out and broke new ground. Enough said. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. <laughs> this, this is what he wants. He said, and my ambition... My ambition came from the scripture. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He said, that's my verse. He said, that's the verse that's my ambition. So now, if we weren't sitting here teaching this morning, I'd pull out a Bible and I'd look up what that passage is in the Old Testament, and I'd write it down right there because Paul's ambition flowed from scripture. It didn't flow from something he heard somebody say didn't flow from a book, it flowed from scripture. This is the reason why I've often been hindered in coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, now notice, there's no room for work. Why is there no room for work? Because there's churches everywhere. He said, listen, I've, I've done my job. I'm an apostle. I'm a planter. He said, no, there's, there's lots of fields growing around here. He said, there's no more room for me. He said, I am not someone who just goes around preaching to Christians. He said, there's no more room for me. I'm, a, I'm an apostle. I'm a trailblazer. I'm a groundbreaker. He said, I hope to see you are passing to go to Spain. Now, you have to understand, Spain and England were like the far, far reaches of the Roman Empire. They were like the, the hinterlands that nobody really understood. Paul said, I've done everything within the Roman Empire that I know. Now I'm going to the hinterlands where nobody wants to go. 
and to be helped in my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, there's lots of truth there. So they're going to help support. He said, when I come, I'm, I'm going to ask you to take an offering to help me on my journey. I'm going to where nobody's ever gone before. But he said, you know, for a while, I want to enjoy your company. Now, here is a man of God's heart. He knows he's going to have to receive an offering to continue to move on and do the work of God. But he said, you know, I really want to hang out with you and I want to enjoy your company. I like that. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. Okay, he said, this is what I'm doing right now. So this is now and this is future. For Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So there were poor people in church. Wow, now that doesn't fit some people's theology. But there were poor people in church. Now, now brothers and sisters, straight up, I believe in the doctrines of prosperity from the Bible. But there are some people, they've taken the doctrine so far, and they've become so stilted that they can't handle this passage. Paul said, I'm bringing an offering to help the poor among the saints. These poor people were still saints. These poor people were still believers, and they were in the church at Jerusalem. And they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also be of service to them in their material blessings. He said, you know, the Gentiles have received the, the promises of God. They've received the message of the gospel. They've received the Messiah. All these things flowed from the Jews. He said, so it's a good thing to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what was collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So Paul said, listen, this is a stop, stop in. He said, my goal is Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. <laughs> now that is five sermons, but I'll leave it alone. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He said, all right, I need your help. He said, I need your prayers. And he said, You're gonna have to, we're going to have to strive in this. This is going to have to, this is going to be some push. That I may, number one, be delivered from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. And number two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He said, now there's two things. He said, number one, there's going to be a lot of unbelievers there who want to kill me. He said, so I need you to pray for me that I'll be delivered from them. Maybe they didn't pray hard enough. Have you ever thought about that? And number two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He said, I want this to be something that's a blessing to God's people. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our Old Testament passage today now picks up with Esther chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done. Now, in other words, he's discovered the plot to murder all the Jews in the entire kingdom. Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. All right, so he went to the limits. This is as far as he could go. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews. Yeah, because they're all about to die. With fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai, so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to a tender, and he ordered him, ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what this was and why it was. Okay, so what and why? Those are, are two great questions. Whenever you look for the details, look for the what and look for the why. Because please forgive me, you need both of those to make any decisions, the what and the why. Hatak then went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and peoples of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Now, this is, this is serious stuff that we're working on. Except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So for one month, no access. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. He said, now, all right, hey, get real. He said, you know what, this is for all of us. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Very famous passage, but notice first, faith for deliverance. Notice he said, you know what, Esther, if you're not going to be a part of this, God will do it another way, but God will do it. Now that's faith. But he said, you know what, maybe you need to look around and realize that God has put you in this position for just such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, 
gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, one little truth that I want you to notice. A three-day fast. Now, now this is powerful here. A three-day fast. How does God define that? No food, no water. You can go without food or water for three days. You can go without food for longer, but water, three days is the max. He said, no food or water for three days. Fasting is not giving up your cell phone for a few days, folks. It deals with food and deals with water. Chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarter, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to his palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. All right, now here's this one favor again. And notice she didn't look like she'd been fasting. She got all dressed up. She put on her royal robes. Now, when you go to us, go with us to Israel, we are often in Jerusalem during the Feast of Purim, which celebrates what Queen Esther did. And you see all the little girls dressed up in beautiful gowns and little tiara crowns because they want to be Queen Esther. Okay, She had just finished a three-day fast, no food, no water, but she puts on her royal robes. She won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of a scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And while they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it will be fulfilled. <laughs> and Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now, <laughs> this is called set the stage. Okay. I mean, she is setting the stage. This is a very wise woman. She doesn't just take advantage. She pours on the beautiful feast for the king and this guy who's trying to kill him. You know, she, she shows the king that she doesn't hate this man and she's not fighting this man. She's providing him a feast. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. <laughs> Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Jeresh. And Haman recounted to them 
the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced above all the officials. All right, brag time. This is brag time. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one come with me but, but the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow I'm also invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Jerish, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go joyfully to the king, with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. <laughs> now, forgive me, I just want you to notice... Satan's preempt. Satan preempted. Notice before the feast, then go. So Satan said, Let me give you some advice. Gave him some advice by his wife and his friends. Satan said, Murder Mordecai, then go to dinner with the queen. Ah. You see, when God has a plan, it's always amazing how Satan will try to preempt the fulfillment of God's plan. But you do not outfox God. Okay? Now notice, Satan's trying to preempt this. But now, before we ever got to the morning, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found how Mordecai had told about Begthana and Teresh, two of the king's units who guarded the threshold, and who sought to lay hands on King Asherus. And the king said, What honor or distinction was bestowed upon Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him say, Nothing has been done for him. So notice, Satan preempts, God preempts Satan. <laughs> Keeps this guy awake at night. And the king said, who is in the court? Now, again, God could not have preempted if Mordecai had not done the right thing. Okay? Doing the right thing gives God something to work with. Doing the right thing gives God something. If Mordecai just thought, oh, it's not in my business. And the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men said to him, Haman is here standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said, whom should, would the king like to Honor more than me, okay? Ego. Ego, pride before a fall. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn. Let the horse that the king has ridden, and on his head a royal crown be set. All right, so one, two, and three. Three things. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, 
and let them dress the man whom the Lord delights to honor and lead them on the horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And Haman and king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse if you had said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. <laughs> Don't you wish you could have seen Haman's face? So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. He is humiliated. And Haman told his wife, Jerish, and all his friends everything that had happened. Then his wise men and his wife said to him, if Mordecai, by whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but you will surely fall before him. So notice there is a begin to fall, and then there is a fall. <laughs> now there's a truth you need to get a hold of. Sometimes people begin to fall. And you go, God, why aren't you taking care of them? Well, this is just the beginning. While they were yet talking to him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther has prepared. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, I bet that was a quiet dinner. The king again said to Esther, what is, it? what is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it will be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted to me for my wish and my people for my request. So she's saying, My life, my people's life. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, she said, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Asher said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went to the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they had been drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? And as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Men came in. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king was abated. How often do we see in scriptures, beloved, that when people lay traps for you, 
they fall into their own traps. Here is one of the greatest illustrations in the scripture of a man who, because of his pride and his hatred, stirred up by the devil to kill the Jewish people, to kill, forgive me, to kill the future Messiah that was coming into this world. God turned the trap back on his own head. We'll see you tonight, Missions Week, 7 o'clock.